Spirit-filled life points to Jesus. We've seen that in John the baptizer. A separated life pointed to Jesus. Mary, a surrendered life pointed to Jesus. Elizabeth was a secondary life. She learned to live second. Zacharias said a saved life points to Jesus. And today we're going to look at Simeon. Simeon will demonstrate to us, as we just sang, that a steadfast life points to Jesus. We started this series of five biographical sketches in the temple in Luke chapter 1 and the opening verses start there. And it's also going to end chapter 2 as we have another temple scene. We've also said, and it's worth noting, that the word behold is used 10 times. If you want to mark it today, it helps us frame our text so we understand what Luke is trying to communicate. In fact, it's not mentioned actually in the translation, but it is there in the original language. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem. And really, the word now is behold. In other words, something is different about Simeon. And I would suggest to you today, based on the text, that what is different about him is how his life points to Jesus because he is empowered by and filled by the Holy Spirit. It is mentioned three times in this text. In fact, above all the other people that we've looked at in Luke 1 and 2, Simeon is described by terms of the Holy Spirit more than any other. In chapter 2 and verse 25, it says, The Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. 27, He came in the Spirit, capital S, to the temple. And what you have to come to realize is that here's a man who is filled with the Spirit, and his life is going to demonstrate how that works when you point to Jesus. But I want to start off with a few questions. I looked at the overall text even broader than the paragraph that we're looking at today. And I asked the question, and I want to ask and answer it for you today. So think with me. Why all of a sudden, between Malachi and the Gospels, is 400 years? 400 years. God has not spoken. There has not been a prophet. There's not been a revelation. There haven't been angelic visitors. But now, all of a sudden, all of those are taking place. There's an outbreak of the Holy Spirit in Luke's Gospel. It also starts at the beginning of his second volume, the book of Acts. There are angelic visits with announcements directly from God. There are people filled with the Holy Spirit. But what he does here is something I want to point your attention to because it's part of our text. The people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, many of them in Luke 1 and 2, are older. And Luke goes out of his way to emphatically make that point. In chapter 1, if you look in verse 7, it says that both Zacharias and Elizabeth were well advanced in years. In other words, the parents of John are old. However, the parents of Jesus are young. It could have been the other way around. John's parents could have also been young, but they are not. They are old. In fact, they are well advanced in years. The last two, if you put his bookends, an older couple starts Luke 1, and an older couple, although not married, ends chapter 2. And you have our text today, Simeon, coupled with Anna. And both of them are old. In fact, the Bible says that now that he has seen Jesus, he can depart in peace. In other words, his death is not far off. In fact, the Holy Spirit promised him that he would not, here's the text, see death before he saw the Lord's Christ. So here's Simeon, an older guy, seemingly just about ready to die. 
And then the, the Spirit of God reveals to him that he will stay alive for this purpose so that he can see Jesus. It's not our text today, but the very next paragraph in Luke 2 is about Anna. And the Bible says that Anna is 84 years old. So why? Why the contrast? Jesus' parents are young. John's parents are old. The two witnesses to Jesus' birth outside the family are old. Why older people? Let me explain it to you this way. Luke 16, 16 says, The law and the prophets were unto John. In other words, all the Old Testament was leading up to John the baptizer. Now, he is the final one. And that's why in Luke 7, 28, Jesus says that there is not a man born of woman greater than John. Why was John the greatest prophet of all? Not because he did more miracles, not because he had a greater following. You know why John is the greatest prophet? Because he is the closest to the time of Jesus. All the other prophets looked forward to saying things about Jesus. John actually announced Jesus in in, in person. Here's what makes him the greatest. His life pointed directly to Jesus. Why are the people old in the passage? Because Luke wants you to know this, that the old covenant is fading away. It's going to be fulfilled. And Jesus is new. He's bringing in a new covenant And he wants you to understand that the old covenant is passing away. The new covenant is being established in Jesus. But both covenants, the entire Bible, everyone in it, whether you're older or younger, here's the main idea. Jesus is the center of it all. Here's what the prophets talked about. He is about, he is the center of it all. He is the climax of it all. Now let me tell you this. That's not only true in redemptive history. It was also true in Simeon's life and his personal history. You see, Simeon's life can be divided just like the Bible's divided. Before Jesus and after Jesus. I mean, that was his whole life. He was waiting for Jesus the entire time. All those years he was faithful, waiting for Jesus to come. Jesus comes, he holds him in his arms, and then the rest of his life, however short it was. See, that's his whole life. Because Simeon's life is a little micro picture of what the whole Bible is about. And can I say it to you? What your life and my life and Faith Baptist Church is to be all about, and that is centered in Jesus. So I have to ask you up front, is that true of you? Now, all of us have a B.C. time in our life, don't we? We have a before Christ time, and we have an A.C. time, an after Christ time. But let me ask you this morning, especially if you're a believer, of course, does your life point to him? Is he the climax of everything that you exist for? Is he the point of every day? Do you get up in the morning and say, hey, here's the number one thing in my life. My life needs to point to Jesus. And can I make, can I stop here just for a pause and make a little application because of the young and the old people in the text? Can I tell you, young people, if you're here, you're a teenager, you're a single. Can I just exhort you today? Start making your life point to Jesus now. See, John did it, Joseph did it, Mary did it when they were young. Young people, don't wait till you say, well, I get through college and I get a job, I get married, then I'll take God seriously. No, you know what I'm telling you? Start now. Let your life point to Jesus now. Can I say this? Not sports so much, not your grades so much, not your girlfriend or your friends. Listen, not because those things are bad, but here's the danger when you're young, that we let the good things Block the God things. 
And the good things become more important than the God things in our life. But when you're young, if you can form the habits and the disciplines and the passion and the love for God to make him the center of everything in your life, see, that's what the Bible's about. That's what Simeon was about. And I pray for our young people. See, what we need at Faith Baptist Church is some spirit-filled teens, not sin-filled or self-filled, but spirit-filled teens who are so filled with God's spirit that even though it's not going to be popular and it won't be easy to do it, and even though a lot of people will be going completely in the opposite of direction than you will, that by the spirit of God, you let your life point to him. Now let me flip the coin over, can I? What if you're not so young anymore? What if your hair looks like mine? I told you, my daughter, a number of years ago, I thought she was giving, she goes, Daddy, your hair is not gray. I go, that's so nice. She goes, it's white. (laughs) See, the older, see, you may be getting older, 50s, 60s, 70s. Pastor Walker, I'm a little bit too old to do much for God. Can I tell you? That's baloney. It's wrong. See, you're allowed to retire from your job, but you're not allowed to retire from your Jesus. And where you live and how you live, can I exhort you who are older? Let it all be about Jesus and his kingdom. We need senior saints who will be senior servants. I don't know if you ever heard of this name before. It's Shaq Perlman. He is voted on the internet as one of the ten greatest violinists who ever lived. Not too many years ago, but a few years ago, he was doing an international concert in front of thousands of people, and the craziest thing happened. He's playing a song with his violin, and one of the strings breaks. He stopped immediately. There was a pause, and then he looked over at the orchestra, and he said, let's start over. And he did. And what he did, and I don't know how, because I don't know music that well, but without one string, he manipulated the, the, the notes and everything else, and he played the whole thing out with less than one string. And when he was done, everyone in the audience stood up and gave him applause, standing ovation. When they were done and sat down, he said this, sometimes it's the artist's task to find out how much music you can make with what you have left. Can I tell you today, if you are getting older, there is still music to be made in your life. One of my favorite stories is Sam Lamoth. Sam Lamoth sit right back there where Ann does, still. Sam was 79 years old when he went on his first mission trip. 79. He went to Panama. I remember it. He was so excited. He was telling, he came back and said, Pastor Walker, all those youngsters that with, with me, they can't hold a candle to me. I'd get up early in the morning. I would work hard. I'd stay up late at night. I was ready to go. They all wanted to go to bed. I said, what else is there to do? That was Sam Lamoth, wasn't it? Sam wanted to go back. He was planning to go back on another missions trip to Panama. But the Lord called him home first. Sam didn't know that 79 was his last year. But he didn't care. You know why? Because Sam was going on missions trips because he was still faithful. And Sam Lamoth finished well. He finished well. So whether you're younger or whether you're older, can I tell you this? That's what God wants you. He wants you to make Jesus the climax, the center. Stay at it. Stay faithful at the job. Now let me ask, let me show you from Simeon's life. 
and ask the question, well, how did he, Pastor Walker? How did Simeon point to Jesus? He did two things. Two things. They're very simple. Simeon pointed to Jesus by waiting for him. Look what the text says in verse 25. His name is Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. He was Sadiq. He observed the law. The law is a big deal in this text. Five times in the text, verse 22, 23, 24, 27, 39, it says the law of Moses, the law of the Lord, customers at the law according to the law because they were in the temple because Jesus needed to be circumcised and then he needed to have the 40-day blessing as the dedication of the firstborn. He needed to have a priest to give a blessing over him. Those were all things of Torah. Mary and Joseph observed the law. They were devout. They were sadiq. They were righteous. And that's the kind of person Simeon was. He was godly. He was obedient. He, he loved the word of God. He loved God and wanted to serve him. And while he was living righteously, here's what he was doing. He was waiting for Jesus. The Bible says it this way. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Flip over to Anna's story. She said it this way. She was looking for the redemption in Jerusalem. They are very similar statements. They are both taken from Isaiah 40 and chapter 52. And what it meant was is that God in the second half of Isaiah had promised that after the exile, after the slavery to foreign powers for their idolatry and their sin, that there would come a day when there would be a new exodus, that God would bring a new victory, a new triumph, that he would deliver his people, a new freedom. And it would all be by the Messiah. The Messiah would come and he would deliver them. And imagine Simeon and everyone else who lived in Israel at that time, they were anticipating it. Because remember, they had been 400 years, they had been invaded multiple times, they had been conquered, and even for the last 60 years, which was probably the vast majority of Simeon's entire life, they lived under Roman rule and oppression. So when it says he was waiting For the consolation of Israel, he was waiting for God to comfort his people and bring back justice and deliver them and free them from oppression. It was no small thing. But for Simeon, he'd go to the temple, know Jesus. He'd go to the temple, know Jesus. See, the comfort hadn't come yet, so he waited. You know, long-standing hopes are not easy We've already saw Elizabeth, who for years who couldn't have children. Year after year after year, she can't have a son. She is mocked and ridiculed in her culture. In fact, people think Elizabeth isn't right with God because she can't have a child, even namely a male child. And the Bible says that he looked on me in my reproach. And that's that's what Simeon's waiting for. He's waiting for God to come and say, God, remove the approach, the reproach from Israel. Remove the Roman tyranny from us. Save us. Deliver us. Now, can I say it kindly? If we were writing this text in 21st century, it wouldn't have said that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It would have said this. He was waiting for the consolation of Simeon. Because in Western individual Christianity, the story is mainly about us. And you might have thought today, That this is a story about when is God going to come and restore things in my life. In fact, I came here, Pastor Walker, because I really am praying that God will restore my marriage. Not because that's bad. Maybe God will restore my health and give me back the health and the the good health I once had. Maybe God will restore my financial situation. And see, 
those are all okay things, but that's not what he was waiting for. And you know why? Because his life wasn't pointing to him. It was pointing to Jesus. You know what he was waiting for? He was waiting for Jesus to step into the story. Not his story isolated from God's story. He was waiting for the consolation, not of Simeon, Israel. Anna was waiting for redemption in Jerusalem. You see, this is the thing I want to impress on you this morning, that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, your life is not so small and infinitesimally little that you think God is here to always go around all the things in your life and give you everything you want and need. That's not why God is here. That's not why Jesus comes. The truth is, it's not you having your story and inviting God into it. It is God having his story and inviting you into it. But yet we have young people by the droves today who are trying to figure out what they're to do with their life, and they figure out, what am I good at? What can I make the most money at? And what can I have? And where do I go to school to get all of that? And they're writing their story, and along the way, they go to church and a couple services here and there, and they invite God into it. Because that's what we're taught in our culture. That's all about you, and it's marginally about God. But Simeon says, no, see, when you're filled with the Spirit... The most important thing is not God accommodating to your story and getting all your needs met and restoring you and helping you. Not because he can't or he won't or he doesn't. Because he helped Elizabeth. But the main thing is Jesus. Can I say it to you? The Bible says, you know what he was looking for? You know why he went to the temple every day? Because he just wanted to see Jesus. In fact, Simeon would say today if he was here... Do you know why God has kept me alive this long? Do you know why I'm still alive and I haven't seen death? Is it that I can see Jesus first? See Jesus first. It's why he lived. Simeon would say, here's why I'm alive. Jesus. Is that you? Is that me? Is that faith? Why does faith Baptist exist? So that we can have services and we can do this. No, you know why we exist? We exist to make much out of Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we come every day. Not to put in our religious duty, not to fill or salve our religious conscience. We come here because Jesus is our everything. Our everything. That's why he was alive. That's what he was waiting most for. It's not wrong to ask God for a better marriage and a better job and all those things, but that's not what our life revolves around. It revolves around Jesus making the most of him. And sometimes we get those two stories reversed and mixed up. Let me tell you a good illustration of it. I don't know how it was at your house, but for Christmas when I was growing up, my bedroom was upstairs, top of the stairs, last bedroom. So my parents would tell us when we were little, that you cannot come down for Christmas until we come and get you. Did you have that at your home? It's torture. <laughs> and my parents would, you know, we would say the night before on Christmas Eve, we opened one present on Christmas Eve, and then we'd open all the rest of them on Christmas Day. So my parents, we'd say, what time are you going to come get us? And whenever we get up. I said, whatever you get up. Is that like 6 o'clock? <laughs> and so we'd have to go to bed at like 10 and then we'd have to wait for them to get your course. You don't sleep very well because you're wondering what you're going to get, right? So six o'clock rolls around and I'm up. And I'm not even allowed to get out of my bed because my dad thinks I'm going to come down and cheat, I guess, or something. 
So they would wait, I would wait, I would wait. And then finally, like 8, 8.30 rolls around, and finally the door would open. I'd be out of the bed so fast. And I, might, I, would, run, I would push my dad aside, run down the stairs, but I'd forget. I said, why am I in such a hurry? Because at our family tradition was no presents until we read the Christmas story first. So, you know, even though I'm only 8 or 10, I know that this is the godly thing to do. So my dad would get out the Bible, and he'd turn to Luke 2, and he'd start reading the story. And I'm trying to pay attention as if it matters to me. I'm hearing the story. I know, yeah, yeah, the Bethlehem, the manger, the shepherds came, the angels glory in the highest. Okay, get on with it. Because you know what? That was cool. God's story was cool, but I was really more interested in my story, the presence. That's the story I really wanted. You know why? Because I really fell in love with the gifts and forgot about the giver. You know, it's possible that God's people do that. It's possible that you can come to church and see, your, you know it's about God's story. You know this is about what God is doing in the world and what he's trying to do to make the world glorify him and get him, them to worship him. And you, we, we come and we know that's the story, but we're kind of get through that story and get to the part about me. Give me the gifts. Give me the presence. That's what I'm really here for, Pastor Walk. I'm here for God to give me the gifts. See, Simeon was and decided to attach his story to God's. That it wasn't his story was number one, it was God's story number one. And can I tell you this? And when you make that decision to say, God, my story is subservient to yours. It's what you're doing in Israel. It's what you're doing in the world. God, that's more important than what you're doing in my individual life. And you bring that to church, it'll be a different worship service. It's not what I want out of the service. It's not all that I... It's, see, I'm coming for you, God, and I'm coming for others. Why? Because that's the story. The story isn't about me. It's about you and others. Simeon did that, and you know what happens? It says the Holy Spirit guided him. He guided him into the temple, and he found the parents of Jesus. Now, don't run over that statement. You know Why? Let me tell you, because there's the court of the Gentiles and there's the court of the women. And those two courts put together were the same size as 16 football fields long. That is a big area. At the time of Simeon's ministry, which he probably was a priest, there were 19,000 priests. You have thousands of people in the temple area on a huge scale area. And he walks in there, it'd be like walking into a stadium at the Eagles game and trying to find, oh yeah, immediately walk over and find that one person on the other side. But that's exactly what happens. He walks in and he immediately knows when he sees Mary and Joseph, the day has come. See, when you put your story under God's story, the Holy Spirit begins to use you and guide you in unusual ways. And we see that so clearly in the book of Acts, Luke's second volume. See, when when Philip said, God, my story is, you tell me where to go to reach people. And see, God says, I want you to go on this desert. I want you to go to this specific road. And there was one chariot with one Ethiopian eunuch on it, and he wins him to Christ. Why? Because when you make your story God's story, God begins to guide you and use you. See, Ananias was a nobody until one day... The Apostle Paul 
who was Saul, gets saved on the Damascus Road. And Ananias is told, hey, here's what I want you to do. And God gives him the street name. Go to the street called Straight. I want you to go down to this house. And see, God guides him through the town, right street, third house on the right. And I want you to pray for this guy, even though he's the enemy of Christianity. And you can see it continually. Cornelius is guided from afar, a Gentile from another land, all the way to the house of Peter in Caesarea. Why? Because God wanted the Gentiles to get the gospel. Paul and Barnabas are guided and told this city, not this city. And the Holy Spirit keeps moving them. You know why? Because when your story is God's story and you adopt his mission as the most important thing in your life, it is amazing how the Holy Spirit of God will guide you and lead you and use you in unbelievable ways. So how did Simeon's life point to Jesus? Well, he did it by waiting for Jesus. Waiting for Jesus, making him the center of everything, attaching his story to Jesus' story and letting the Holy Spirit use him in a fantastic way. But that was only one. The second one is this, not only by waiting for Jesus, but witnessing about Jesus. Look at the text. Two times... Out of the mouth of Simeon, he offers a blessing. It's what the priest did when you dedicated your child to the Lord. Realize when Jesus is getting this blessing, he's only 40 days old. He's 40 days old. And out of Simeon's mouth, the Bible says in two different places that he's going to be blessed God. Verses 28 and 34. Verse 28 says, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Verse 34, and then he blesses others. And Simeon blessed them, meaning Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. See, that's what a spirit-filled life does. It witnesses about Jesus. It blesses God and says, here's the kind of God you are. That you waited, I waited all these years, and God, according to your word, it says, you were faithful to me. And verse 29 says, Lord, Here's what Simeon says when he blesses God. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now, that now word is pregnant with meaning, isn't it? Now, can you imagine what he's saying? You know how long I've waited for this day? You know how many times I've come to the temple? You know how many times I've sacrificed me to think of we and what's best for Israel? You know how I've come to church and it's never been about me? You know how I've come to the temple and it's never been about me? And here's the day, God, finally, now, Now you can let your servant, it's the word slave, and the word Lord is master, despot, literally, the one who is over, completely over, with all power. Here's what he says. God, here's the relationship we've had, and this is why I bless you. You've been my master, and I've been your slave, and I have done everything according to Torah. I have kept your word. I have made Jesus the focus of my life. And now after all of these years, Now it's happening. The day has been realized. The long hopes have been brought to reality in his life. And he says, now I can depart in peace. And the word depart is a military term in the Greek language. And it means now you can be dismissed from your post. It's like in the temple, Simeon has been a sentinel. And he's been standing there for years telling everybody, hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. You better get ready for him. Prepare yourself. When he comes, it's going to change everything. And he's been saying it for years. Finally, the day comes. And he says it one more time. And today it has happened. But can I tell you one more time? Even when the greatest day of his life occurs, 
Here's what he think it occurs for. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. It's a quote of Isaiah 52.10. Personally, now I've seen your salvation. I've seen Jesus. And by the way, can I stop you there? He doesn't ask to have more time to see Jesus grow up. He doesn't ask for more time to see the kingdom come in. He doesn't ask, in his own thinking, more time to see the Roman oppression thrown off and all of God's enemies. He doesn't ask for more time. You know what's enough for him? I don't have to see Jesus any more than being 40 days old. I don't have to see any more because I believe your word. See, here's what he would say. Jesus and having him in my arms today, it's enough. It's enough. I don't have to have all those things I wanted. I don't have to have all the things that would make my life greater. I don't have to see all. You know what? You know what? Just the fact that Jesus came here today and you let me hold him just for a couple of minutes makes all the difference in the world to him. So he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. But listen, he can't get away from the bigger story. And this salvation has been prepared for what? All peoples. Same phrase used in Luke 2.10 when the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this good news shall be for all peoples. Simeon said, I'm a Jew and God came for Israel. But you know what I think? He's also a light to the Gentiles. Here's my story because it's Jesus' story. It's bigger than Simeon. It's bigger than the temple. It's bigger than Jerusalem. It's bigger than Israel. It's a cosmic story. And can I tell you, that's what you are in this morning. Do you understand? Christmas is an invitation for you to get into God's cosmic, world-grand-scale story. It's bigger than you and our church and Hamilton and Trenton and the surrounding area. It's bigger than all of those things. This is a worldwide scope story. And God says this morning, I want you to play a role in it. Now, Simeon's role, comparatively small. But he says, now I can go home. I'm ready to go see God. You know why? Because I did my part of witnessing about Jesus, telling people who he was. And if, even if it means it's my last breath, when I'm old, he says, so be it. He decided that his story wasn't nearly as important as God's. The Alamo, my mom grew up in San Antonio. She knew the Alamo. I've, I've yet to be there, but I've read about it. I've watched movies about it. 180 men were caught in a little church mission in the Alamo because outside was Santa Ana and the Mexican army of 10,000. Quite odds were horrible, 10,000 to 180. But they were waiting for Sam Houston to arrive. Sam Houston had the whole Texas army and that was going to supposed to de defeat the Mexicans and deliver them. And so they waited and they waited and they thought if they could just fight long enough, they could hold them off. But they realized after holding off 10,000 people for 13 days, which is quite a feat in and of itself, that it wasn't going to last long enough for Sam Houston to get there. In charge of the Alamo and all of its forces, including Jim Bowie and Daniel Boone, was a guy named Colonel Travis. And as reported on the night before the final battle that he took his sword out and asked all 180 men to stand in the courtyard. And he did. And he drew a line in the stand. He said, if you would fight for Texas... A bigger story than just you. And it's freedom cross over the line. 
Only one man out of 180 didn't cross the line who tried to escape through the back of the mission and was killed within five minutes. 179 out of 180 men crossed the line and the next day were completely wiped out and massacred. And they knew it. They knew, even though they waited, Sam Houston wasn't coming. There would not be reinforcements. But they said, that's okay, we give our lives because the story of Texas is bigger than my story. Can I tell you, that's what God is asking from you. Simeon said, I want the story of the gospel, the worldwide story of reaching Gentiles. And I want that to be bigger than my story. And I'm glad that I was able to have a little part in it. And see, whether you're young today and you say, well, what can I do, Pastor Walker? I'm old today. What can I really do? You can do your part. That's what you can do. You can be here and faithfully attend the services and you can get involved in the nursery and you can sing in the choir and you can do the youth ministry work or... You see, there's so many things to do. And they, will they impact the world greatly in life? I don't know. But we all have a part to play in God's story. Young or old, we have a part. And as long as we are making Jesus the climax, making Jesus the center of it all, that's what makes the difference. We have said all along that what you are filled with will determine what you point to. And the question is, What are you filled with? If it's the Spirit of God, your life will point to Jesus and everything. Let's close in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, in just a moment we're going to close with my favorite worship chorus, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. It's a great one. You know the words probably by heart. But there are some of you here today and you've never come to the realization that you're a sinner and you need a savior and that Jesus is God's story and you've never experienced by faith his comfort and redemption. You've never recognized that he died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins. You know about him and you know the Bible somewhat because you're at church today, right? But do you know him by faith? Have you recognized that he is the only God and Savior that can make you right with the Father and forgive your sins? See, if you never put your faith and trust in him alone for your salvation, you can do that today. As we sing this song in a moment, you can come forward, not because walking the aisle will do a thing, but it will give you someone, someone the opportunity to talk with you about the gospel so that you can have life eternal and forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. But if you're here this morning and you have already decided to follow Jesus, let me ask you this. Are you still following? Is he really the center of everything? Does it all point to him or is it selective? Is it partial? You have to answer that as you sing the song. I pray that you could sing the words truthfully from your heart. If not, let's pray together. Let's talk together. Let's let the Holy Spirit of God take his word and show you the places. Because you know what the Bible says at the end of that passage? That Mary's soul will be pierced. And there will be opposition. And then it says this. There will be for the fall and rising of many 
because it will reveal the thoughts of people's hearts. See, Jesus is a divider. There's no neutrality when it comes to him. You're either following him or you're not. It's really that simple. And some will fall and some will rise. But what you do do with Jesus will make all the difference, can I say now, and eternity. Father, take that sword of the Spirit and draw a line in the sand today. That people here would cross over and say, you know what? It doesn't matter what my other friends do. It really doesn't matter so much what my family members think or if people at work or school understand what I'm doing. I want to follow Jesus. I want everything in my life to point to him. All my choices, all my relationships, all my future. I want it all to be about him and his kingdom. I want to be like Simeon. I want Jesus to be my everything. And Father, if there is even one here this morning who doesn't know you, doesn't know your redemption, doesn't know your forgiveness, may you grant them repentance that today might be the day that the BC is over and the AC begins. Be glorified in that, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.